There beginning in verse 1, it says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet and pleasant, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sights of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And let us go to the Lord in prayer, asking for him to bless his word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for bringing us together as your church. Father, we pray that your spirit would be with us now as we look at your word. Father, we pray that you would bring light to our eyes, that you would work upon our hearts and upon our minds, that we could understand and believe and trust you in your word. Father, we ask all of this in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, have you ever experienced a crippling fear? Uh, sometimes fear makes us stop everything. Maybe you're af afraid of heights. And maybe if you've ever been up to a very tall area and you are afraid of heights, looking down makes it to where you can no longer walk and you're just frozen. Uh, maybe you have a severe social anxiety. Maybe you're in a situation where it's time to talk, but you just can't speak. Uh, maybe you have great fear over a certain type of animal or a certain type of bug. And when you see it, you just can't move and it makes you stop everything. Well, fear has a way of doing that to us. It makes us freeze. Sometimes fear just makes us hesitant to where we cannot act. Solomon has something similar to this in his text as he is talking to us here. In verse 3, he says something to summarize the entire point of this poem. He says, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And so he says, this is what you should do. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What he's saying here is that there are those who are very hesitant to do really anything at all. Uh, here in this passage is talking about working or sowing seeds. Maybe you're a farmer, but you're always looking for the perfect moment to sow your seed. And so you're like this person who is watching the winds, watching the clouds, looking for rain or seeing when rain isn't coming. But then in the end, you ended up never sowing your seed. And in the end, you ended up never reaping a harvest because you were too hesitant, you were too fearful to work. And so he is telling his people in this passage 
Do not be so paralyzed by how much you do not know. You don't know if it will prosper. You don't know if it will fail. So simply act, but do so wisely. The entire point of this passage is to take every opportunity to work boldly, but do so wisely. And today I want us to look at that principle. I want us to look first at the immediate context that it's being used in. But then I also want to apply this principle to other areas of life. Um, places in scripture where this principle is applied. So first, what is Solomon saying here? In verse 1, there's this line that may, maybe many of us have heard before. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Uh, I remember when I was young, I heard a song um, by this name, Cast Your Bread Upon the Waters, and every time I hear this line, it just plays in my head over and over and over again. And it's there again now. Hopefully it'll leave eventually. Um, But looking at this passage, or looking at this line, we might wonder, what does this mean? Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Well, there are usually two interpretations that are offered here. Uh, The first interpretation refers to uh, international commerce or sea travel. In fact, if you were to look at this passage in the NIV, the New International Version, It actually takes this interpretation and uses it in the translation. Uh, There it says, Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight, and you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Right. So we know that in other places, Solomon has talked about a certain type of fear that cripples people. Um, Way back in chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, Solomon says, There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. Well, what if you were to see something like that? Someone lost all of their riches in a bad venture, in some financial transaction. He lost all of his money. Well, maybe if you saw something like that happened, you would be hesitant to do any ventures at all. Maybe you would be hesitant to send your grain across the water to, you know, to do business with other people because you've seen where there have been bad ventures. And so Solomon is saying, do not be so crippled that you don't act, but instead act wisely. In order to not lose everything in a bad venture, uh, do not put all of your eggs in one basket. Right? So maybe there he is saying, invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight because you do not know where disaster may come or where things might prosper. So perhaps he's speaking to something like that. Maybe this is about sea travel or something uh, similar. Now, there's another uh, interpretation that is a little bit more common, actually, through the history of the church, uh, and that speaks about uh, giving to the poor, um, especially giving to those who are in need when you do not see any return or when you do not see any purpose, right? Maybe you could see someone who is in great need and you know that if you give them money, uh, they're probably not going to pay you back. Or maybe you see someone who is starving and if you give them food, maybe that doesn't mean eventually you'll get repaid or that something good will happen to you. But simply cast your bread upon the waters. Even if it looks foolish to throw your bread into the water, Do not think you are losing something. 
this might sound like a strange way to explain this, but in other places, this has been an, a way of speaking. Uh, in fact, there is an old Egyptian proverb that has been found uh, that says, Do a good deed and throw it in the water. When it dries, you will find it. So you can see maybe other people have used expressions similar to this, maybe even in that area. Uh, so the idea of throwing your bread upon the waters and getting a reward later could deal or could refer to giving to the poor or acts of mercy. Now, perhaps both of these interpretations are true. Uh, maybe the one about international seafare or commerce, as the NIV reads, um, is the intended meeting, but the application would be to give to the poor. There could be something like that. But overall, what we see in this passage is that it is reminding us to take every opportunity, whether that is to work or whether that is to give or to do something like that, do so um, boldly, without reservation, but still wisely. Uh, in the early church in the third century, there was a bishop named Gregory the Wonderworker. This is um, a very cryptic person um, who is well-respected. Um, but he does have a passage here, or he does have a quote to this passage uh, that at least sheds some light on early interpretations. And this seems to be the general consensus among, amongst most. Uh, he says, and I think it's helpful, for, though you, for although you seem immediately to waste it upon some persons, if you cast your bread upon the water... Yet in the progress of time, your kindness shall be seen to be not unprofitable for you. Also, give liberally and give a portion of your means to many, for you do not know what the coming day does. So you can see this interpretation um, to this passage. Even if you see no return in your giving to the poor, do it. Not because you may get a return or you may not get a return. You don't know if you will get a return. But simply do this knowing that there will be reward. And we'll look at this later. We know that Jesus says to not be anxious in your giving because rather than laying up treasures on earth, you will be laying up treasures in heaven. And we'll see some points of that later. But now looking at these interpretations, I think this is helpful for us to remember uh, when we're looking at this passage. I think especially this last one. Because I want us to apply this to three areas of our lives uh, as we are living within the church and as we are interacting with other people. So looking at this principle, what are three ways we can apply this to our lives? Uh, the first one is supporting the kingdom. We do not want to be so anxious that we cannot support the kingdom. The first line of that verse, again, cast your bread upon the waters or you will find it after many days. Again, as we said, the, the traditional interpretation refers to giving to the needy. And this is brought up throughout the Bible in many different places. A very famous section is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, where it says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful, giver, a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now here in this passage, Paul tells the people 
do not sow sparingly. Now, why is it that Paul has to say this to the people? This might seem like a really simple question, but why is Paul telling the people, do not sow sparingly in your giving to the church and you're helping your brothers and sisters who are in need? Don't sow sparingly. Don't hold back to an excessive amount. Well, it could be greed, but it could also be fear. Perhaps there are fears in our lives that keep us from sowing bountifully. There are fears that make us hold on to our money when we could give, where we could help others. When Paul says that there will be a reward for their giving, that doesn't mean that Paul is giving some sort of incentive that plays upon their greed. I think this is sometimes a way that this is taken wrongly. Right? You may hear a pastor say, if you give little, then God will give you back little. But if you give a lot, God will give you back a lot. And while there might be some truth to that, as we've seen, sometimes that's presented in a way that pulls on the greed of people. You know, um, if you want more money, then you should give more money. Rather than if you want to love your neighbor, if you want to reap righteousness or anything like that. But sometimes greed is pulled upon there. But I don't think that's what Paul is doing. I think rather what Paul is doing is almost trying to speak to this fear that people might have. If you think that by giving to someone else, by casting your bread upon the water, then you will have no bread, do not fear. Do not be anxious. Understand that God can still take care of you even as you take care of your brothers and sisters. If you are removing funds or removing food from your hands and giving it to the hands of others, don't think that that leaves your hands empty and that you will not be provided for. But rather, there will be a return and you will still be taken care of. I think Jesus really uh, speaks to this in Luke chapter 12 uh, as he's addressing this mindset. Jesus says there in Luke chapter 12 verses 13 through 23, or this passage, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter of you, or arbitrator of you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Right? So here in this passage, there are these two people who are disputing. But this disputing is making much about money. There's division within this household over money, uh, something that we see everywhere all the time, division amongst friends and family members over money. And Jesus is speaking to this, saying, don't let covetousness affect you in this way. Life is not all about money and the abundance of possessions. And then he gives this parable in verse 16. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then he says a few lines down in verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, fear not, little flock. Cast your bread upon the waters. It is not a waste. It will, you will find it after many days. That treasure will be eternal. And I think we can get a lot of insight by looking at these passages here, taken all together. Notice what that rich man really craved. He had all of this wealth, and he stored it up. And then he says, relax, eat, drink, be merry. He stored up enough money to where he was able to relax. He had security. He didn't have to worry about, about his finances anymore. But what he didn't do was give to the needy. What he didn't do was look after those who were around him. And so at the end of his life, when Jesus returns or when he's brought to judgment, it's noticed that he used his possessions not for good. He didn't use what he was given. He didn't use his gifts to bless those around him. And if we put this in the context of the church, as James talks about, um, you know, a good and lively faith is one that sees his brother or sister in need and is able to help them. If someone is in the church and they have gifts, they have funds, they have the ability to help their brothers and sisters, but in selfishness, they do not help, they do not care for their family. Rather, what they care about is their own security and ability to be at peace and relax. They will be called into judgment for that. It will be a terrible thing that in the end, when they died, they did not lay up eternal treasures. Rather, what they did was they laid up a bank account full of money that they no longer are in possession over or possession of. And so here Jesus is saying, you know, together with this passage in Ecclesiastes, cast your bread upon the water. Do not fear that you will be hungry. Help those who are in need. Do good, for this will bring eternal treasures and eternal righteousness. There's the psalm that says, he has, distrib- he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Take every opportunity that you have to give wisely and support wisely. I think it's a work of providence that we even come to this passage right now when, you know, presently in the church we have opportunities to give. And maybe you've been thinking about giving to this well ministry in Malawi. Or maybe you've been thinking about the Jokbang ministry Um, that we've recently sort of partnered with. Uh, Maybe you've been thinking about giving food to the table in the back, but you've been, you know, maybe worried. Well, if I give, then I won't have anything. You know, maybe I'm a little bit low on money, but if I give, then I will be even lower on money. Or maybe if I give of my Saturdays, then I won't have time. Whatever these different things may be. If you are being led to give or to help, but you have this anxiety Remember what Jesus says to us here. Do not be so anxious about your present possessions. Rather, remember that as you give freely, as you give with that cheerful heart, there will be a return and your Father will provide for your needs. So do not think that love will cost you too much as you seek to support the kingdom. And so one application of this text is that as we live our lives, we ought not to be so anxious that we do not support the kingdom. Secondly, 
we ought not be so anxious that we cannot serve the kingdom. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, we have a very famous description of the church as being a body and how the members of the church are able to support one another, not only in physical needs or financial needs, but also in just giving of our, giving of our talents and abilities. Uh, if you were to go there in Romans chapter 12 and look at verse 4, there it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, these gifts are not the only gifts. There are other ways that we can be gifted, other ways that we can serve. But these are some examples, some ways, that the Holy Spirit gifts people for serving in the church. Right, we see a list here. We see prophecy. Now, sometimes when we think of prophecy, we only think in terms of foresight. But throughout the history of the church, it has been applied in many different ways as well. Um, it's also applied in the uh, gift of being able to interpret Scripture. Um, some people have a special gift in understanding Scripture and being able to apply it. There's the gift of exhortation. You have some people who are not able or who are not only able to understand Scripture, but also they have a unique ability given by the Holy Spirit to exhort people to follow the Scripture. They have this ability to call people to apply it to their lives. We also see gifts of service. Now, we're all called to serve, but we see here that God gifts certain people in the church with a special ability to serve. Whether that is maybe in their life, they have a good job, they're at a place where they're able to serve. And then also in their heart, God has given them this desire to serve others. They have this wonderful gift. Same thing with the one who contributes, the one who leads, the one who God has given um, an equipping for works of mercy. We just see this throughout this passage in many other places that God gifts his church with people who have gifts and are able to serve the church. But we must not be so anxious that we cannot use our gifts to support and serve the church. These gifts cannot be ignored. The church needs them the same way that the church needs every member or the same way that a body needs every member of itself. Now, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the spiritual gifts. Uh, usually, this involves um, confusion over whether or not certain spiritual gifts are around today. Um, if you've ever had conversations with people about the spiritual gifts, maybe you've had the question, well, what about the miraculous gift of tongues? Um, of course, when we look at Scripture, we see that the gift of tongues is not the ability to speak a certain prayer language or a language that no one has ever spoken before. But we see in the Bible there's this miraculous gift where some people were able to speak languages that they had never studied. So maybe we wonder, uh, what about today? Does God still give the miraculous gift of tongues? Um, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Korean is a very hard language. And it would be really great uh, if I didn't have to study Korean and I could just miraculously speak Korean. Uh, but 
Perhaps God still uses gifts like this in some times, but we don't want to be too distracted with whether or not some gifts continue, whether or not some um, are not continued. Because sometimes it confuses the problem because we think of the, all of the spiritual gifts of having to be miraculous. If someone has a spiritual gift, it must be some almost sort of superpower that they have attained at their conversion. But we don't want to think about the spiritual gifts in this way. Uh, in fact, one of the earliest references to a spiritual gift is actually in the Old Covenant. And I think this is a really interesting passage that we often overlook when we think about the spiritual gifts. Uh, for example, we see this in Exodus chapter 31, verses 2 through 5. The tabernacle is being prepared to be constructed. And God says to Moses there in Exodus chapter 31, verse 2, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Notice he doesn't just tell Moses, find people who are gifted in construction and artistry and all of these things. Notice God is telling Moses that he has given someone this gift, whether that is something that they have already had before or whether that is something that has miraculously come upon them. I believe that this is something that they have been able to do before, but now the Holy Spirit is empowering them to do so in the same way that maybe David or King Saul before his kingdom was taken away. They had leadership abilities, but when they were anointed by the Holy Spirit to fulfill their office, um, you know, God was able to use them in a greater way. But um, uh, maybe putting that to the side, what we see here is that this sort of spiritual gift was not what we often think of when we think of spiritual gifts. Notice this wasn't a superpower. What was this spiritual gift? Well, it was craftsmanship. The church at this time needed a foreman. They needed someone who could oversee construction, and God provided one. When we think about this, the spiritual gifts, rather than thinking about this list of superpowers that we may try to put together as being a list of spiritual gifts, think of the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit gifting the church with people who are able to fulfill the church's needs. If the church needs a foreman, if the church needs someone to oversee construction, the Holy Spirit can supply the church with someone who can oversee construction. In the same way, looking at our situation now in the church, if the church needs someone on a budget committee, then the Holy Spirit can supply the needs of the church with someone who is good at numbers, with someone who is good at finances. So what we can think about here is that when we look at the church and we're thinking about what is our spiritual gift or what's, what purpose do we serve in the body, rather than making that some sort of inward focus where we are trying to look at ourselves and try to find out what is my superpower, rather we should be looking at the church and saying, what does the church need? What is an opportunity where the Lord can use me and the Holy Spirit can meet the needs of the church by using the members? And that's really what we should, that's really the way that we should think when we think about spiritual gifts. 
rather, spirit, rather than spiritual gifts being the Holy Spirit's gifting individuals, instead think of the spiritual gifts as being the Holy Spirit gifting the church with gifted individuals who can supply the church's needs. And so this reminds us to look for needs that we can fulfill. When we see an opportunity where we can serve, let us not be hesitant. Let us not put our abilities and talents to the side. Think of the parable of the wicked servant that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 25, verses 26 through 30. Uh, It's a long one, so we won't read all of it, but we know that Jesus is talking about a master leaving his servants with talents or funds. And he is expecting that they will use those funds to reap something. They will invest that money to bring more money, that basically they will put to use the gifts that their master has given them. But we know that in this parable, there is one servant who buries the money and who doesn't use what he has been given. And it says in verse 24, that he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this passage, or this passage it shows us that those who truly belong in the church, those who are truly part of God's people and are filled with the Holy Spirit, they desire to use their gifts for the church. They will not live in the church selfishly, but rather they will be filled with love for their brothers and sisters, their brothers and sisters. And as they see areas where they can serve, where they can help, as they see abilities that they have, they will seek to use those abilities to be a blessing to the church, to reap a harvest. And so do not fear that maybe you will fail. Do not fear that what you have to offer is not as great as what someone else may have to offer. Remember, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If you are always looking for the perfect opportunity to help, or waiting until you are at the perfect ability maybe to do uh, what you think would be perfect, then you will let opportunities slip away. You will not be a blessing to the church in the way that you could be. And so let us look for areas where we can serve. You know, very soon uh, we're going to be changing things up uh, with small groups and with Sunday school teachers, and we will be asking again for volunteers for the Sunday school. Now, maybe you are a person who has a great ability to teach young children. Maybe you have a you know, ability that God has given you to teach and to uh, interact and be a blessing to children and that comes comfortable or comes easy to you. Do not neglect the gift that God has given you. Instead, use that gift for the good of the church, 
That is a talent that God has given you. Do not bury it. Do not think that it is a waste of time. Instead, rather understand this is a place where the Holy Spirit can be gifting me to be a blessing to the church. A few weeks ago, we had a congregational meeting and we talked about how over the past few months, our giving has not been up to our budget. Now, here at this church, we don't like to talk a lot about money. Uh, We don't like to pressure people to give more than they are able. Uh, We also don't want to give off the impression that we are trying to squeeze money out of our people, right? That is something that many wolves in the church do. And we don't want to be like wolves who are trying to fleece the flock. In other words, you know, take from the people everything that they can get. But we do know the scripture does talk about the church supporting the church, supporting the ministry. And so we know that this is something good for us to do. And so if you have been gifted and if you have the means, do not think that casting your bread upon the waters will remove bread from your hands. Do not think that supporting the church will be taking support away from you. Now, this is really for all of us. You know, as we are thinking about giving to the church, we don't want to be thinking, we don't want to think of it as being a waste. You know, there are many things in our lives that we give money and time to, and it shows how much we value those things. But if we really value the ministry of the church and the worship of God, then we should appropriately be giving and supporting that ministry as well. And this, again, applies to really everything, whether that is folding bulletins, whether that is talking and greeting visitors, whether that is working on the soundboard, checking up on members who are maybe absent or who are sick, whether that is praying for one another. All of these things support the ministry of the church. Without these things, churches die. Without these things, the community of the church crumbles. And so as we are led by the Holy Spirit to serve in these ways, again, let us not hide our talents. Let us not withhold our bread. Instead, let us use it. Let us be bold in what we use and how we serve, wisely but boldly, not allowing fear or anxiety to keep us from supporting God's kingdom and his church. Now, finally, I want us to see that we should also not be so anxious that we cannot spread the, spread the kingdom. Right? So first we talked about supporting the kingdom in our giving, serving the kingdom of our giving with our abilities and talents, but also spreading of the kingdom in our evangelizing. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 10. This is another well-known parable of Jesus. Perhaps you don't even need to turn there. You already know which one this is. Here we have the parable of the sower. And it says here that Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, and since they had no depths of soil, or since they had no depths of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Eventually, Jesus will explain this parable in verse 18, saying that when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, 
the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now, looking at this parable, I think we can really see an application to our own passage. When it talks about the person who is hesitant to sow the seed. But Solomon says, you do not know where it may fail. You do not know where it might produce. And so, sow your seed in the morning and sow your seed in the evening. The same thing applies to us as we are sowing the seed of the word. As we are giving the gospel to friends and family. Even to strangers as we talk to people. To coworkers. We do not know the types of soil that we are spreading that word upon. And so we are to spread it boldly, without hesitation. We are to send the gospel to all people indiscriminately, not knowing where God will work. Again, what does our passage say? He who observes the wind will not sow. If you are always observing the wind, always looking at people and thinking, what will their response to the gospel be? then perhaps you won't even evangelize at all. But instead of looking at those outward things, instead, sow the seed. In the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, withhold not your hands, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This really applies to everything that we've been talking about. And this applies especially to sowing the seed of God's word. Uh, If you remember last week, uh, we mentioned that the, um, uh, the Thursday night Bible studies have come to a close. Uh, over the past few years, we've been doing Bible studies on Thursday, um, and it was really an evangelistic outreach. Uh, but one thing that we had been talking about was, you know, the whole purpose of the Bible study was really evangelism, right? Reaching the lost, uh, finding those who had never heard the gospel. And, you know, we were using the church's money to support that, uh, that we have an evangelism fund that we were supporting um, the Thursday Bible study. But we were noticing that the Bible study wasn't really reaching the points of evangelism. Um, Over the many years, we've had a lot of great conversations and we've had a lot of really good Bible studies, but it's been mostly with other Christians in Korea, maybe other foreigners or other Koreans in other churches. But it didn't really focus on evangelism. And that's the main reason why we've decided to end the Thursday Bible study And eventually, we would like to do something a little bit more um, evangelistic. And hopefully, this can be a good opportunity for those in the church who desire to uh, share the gospel. Uh, Maybe in your heart, you've been thinking, it would be so great if as a church, we could do some evangelism. We could go out there and share the good news of Christ with those who have not heard or with those who are not coming to us already. You know, um, something interesting about this church, uh, whenever visitors come here to uh, Covenant, we often ask, how did you find out about our church? Um, I think the number one most common way is 
people specifically search Reformed English Church in Korea. Uh, now, that's a very specific uh, search, right? So it seems that the majority of people who come to Covenant are people who are already specifically looking for a Reformed Church in Korea. Now, we don't want to fall into the common stereotype that Calvinists don't evangelize, right? We want to understand that God uses means to bring his word to the elect. Yes, we do believe that all those whom the Father has ordained, he will draw by his Holy Spirit to believe in the Son. We do believe that. But we understand that God uses the preaching and the witnessing of the gospel as a means to bring his people to himself. And so we haven't really made any permanent plans yet or announcements, but in the near future, I think it would be good if we could maybe begin another evangelism committee. Maybe talk about ideas where we could spread the gospel in a more of a us going to the people way rather than you know, waiting for the people to come to us. Uh, because I think what we've seen is um, uh, there are many uh, language exchanges and bars uh, that people are more ready to go to uh, rather than a language exchange maybe at a church or in a coffee shop with a Bible study. Uh, so I think it would be good if we could, as a church, maybe find some ways for evangelism. And I'm sure from talking to many of us here, this is an area where the Lord has really burdened us to share his gospel. Uh, we see Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. He talks about a fellow gifted preacher, Apollos. And there he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive, will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, while this passage you know, specifically applies to those who are ordained to preach and teach, people like Paul and Apollos, uh, all of the church is part of God's mission uh, to reach the lost. But notice the way that he talks about it. He says that Apollos watered. Right? He says that um, Paul planted, Apollos watered. But it was God who caused it to produce fruit. And I think we could think of it in the same way. It is us who sows the seed. It is us who plants. It is us who waters. But we do not know where God will produce fruit. But we trust that he can use us. And so this shouldn't keep us from working. Now, in closing, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Part of our salvation is the receiving of gifts from God. You know, all of our worship really is responding to the gifts of God. You know, I think even when we think of the worship service, uh, if you were to take your bulletin and just um, look through the elements, just look through the liturgy and see how there's always this giving from God and the responding of the people, right? It is God who gives us 
His law. That's something we're receiving. And then so we respond with confession. And then God gives us the gift of forgiveness. And then we respond with thanksgiving. Uh, In a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And He is going to offer us and give us the body and blood of Christ. These are gifts that we receive from the Lord. These aren't things that we do. These are things that we receive. And we respond with thankfulness. That applies to the worship. That applies to even our daily lives as Christians. All of our service to God is in response to the gifts that he has given us. And even in our salvation, Jesus has given us gifts. He hasn't left his church to be without the means to survive and to be prosperous and to spread the gospel. Jesus is always supplying his church with the means to work for the kingdom. We remember that our salvation as a whole is not something that we deserve. It is not something that we have earned or worked for as if we were going to our job. Rather, this is something, our salvation is something that has been given to us freely by God through his grace. Our sin against his law merits nothing but the curse of death and hell. If we think about what we deserve, what we have earned, what we have earned is death. What we have earned is punishment and condemnation and guilt. What we have earned is eternal separation from God in hell. But we have been given, or but what we have been given is the gift of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not something that we deserve, not something that we have earned, but a good gift that God has given to us. And in that gift, he leads us to freedom. We are part of those people who, are at, who were at one point held captive in the bondage of sin and condemnation, but then have been set free. We are those people that God has given gifts to. And so let us not be anxious to use them. Instead, cast your bread upon the waters. Even if you do not know that there will be a return, you are not wasting your life and serving the Lord. You will find it after many days. And so if we, use, or if we use the gifts that God has given us, ready to serve him in response to the great gifts that he has given us, then one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And all those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, who know the great wealth and gift that is our salvation, I believe we will be ready to respond to God with thanksgiving, saying, Lord, thank you for the gifts that you have given me. And Father, now direct me in the ways that I can bless your church with those gifts, without anxiety or without fear, knowing that God equips us and provides for us to do so. So let us go to the Lord now in prayer, asking that he will help us accomplish this very thing. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we We thank you, God, that you have given us so many gifts. Lord, we thank you that you have given us bread, that you have given us seed, that you have given us opportunities to serve. Father, we pray that you would help us in our anxiety. We pray that you would forgive us in our covetousness. Lord, we know that there are people around us who need or who have many needs. Father, I pray that you would fill us with the love of your Son that is ready to give bountifully, Lord, ready to give 
to help those around us. Lord, in whatever way it is, whether that is money or time, whether that is ability, Father, I pray that you would continue to work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Father, we pray that your spirit would bless this church, that we could support one another in many different ways so that we can be the body of your son who functions well and is able to bless one another. So dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that you would use your word uh, to strengthen your people in all of this. Father, we ask all of this in your son's name we pray. Amen.